Hey family, welcome to the Kinship Collective Podcast. I'm Mark and we are ending otherness. We are sharing and lamenting and celebrating our stories and reimagining scripture in ways that build empathy, grow solidarity, and ultimately realize that we are family. This week, we get to hang with Mark Chase. He's a priest, pastor, poet, and MC, and joins us to talk about some of the distinct characteristics of God. How can we sense whether or not we're experiencing God, or if we're experiencing an unhealthy image of God we've cultivated throughout our lives' experiences? It's an incredible conversation. We continue that train of thought and reimagine Psalms 34, 8 and name some of the distinct ways we taste and smell and experience God. Without further ado, here's Chase. Ladies and gentlemen, today from Guyana by way of Mount Vernon, New York, the MC, artist, poet, pastor, priest, father, partner, Ladies and gentlemen, this man is an embodiment of justice and curiosity and kind presence in his community and in his home. Give it up for the Mark Chase. Oh my goodness. Thank you, man. I don't think I've ever been introduced that way before in my entire life. That's pretty awesome. Oh, Chase, I'm so grateful for your time here. I will refer to Mark as Chase because I'm also Mark, and I've I've always known Chase as Chase. People call him Chase in the circles that I know him from. And so uh, this is my brother, our brother. And I'm really grateful for our time together, Chase, when I think of who you are and I think about your story, I think about this journey of spiritual evolution. And I don't, you know, I don't know if that's, I don't take that term lightly or liberally. I just think about who you are and the journey that I've seen you on from maybe nominal faith in tradition to then Pentecostal faith and encountering God, embracing God to um, a faith shaped by white supremacy then to be a part of black churches and to be a lead a part of and then a leader in a multi-ethnic multi-generational church and then to find yourself at this this current leg of the journey which even putting it that way makes me think about the journey ahead and i mean who knows what you what what 20 year old chase would say to a 64 year old chase just kidding (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but what this what you what younger yeah seriously by the way the last episode bro i said oh i can't God. do this oh how you God. show me 90 year old then 10 year old oh. then 70 year old then i yeah, said babe yeah, yo yeah. this is too much yeah. for me right now yeah it's it's like if y'all listening out there and you haven't jumped on this is us just do it with caution this ain't the type <laughs> of thing you could just binge watch and speed through your emotions gonna be all over the place yo that they they I, yeah. This detour, yo, the last episode, my wife, we, we one of catch the, the last, the last, last one. Okay, you, one but you watched this Tuesday. We okay. watched the one before that. The one before that is Clemente. Um, yes. Boricua. Yes. I can't think yes. of his name. Yes. Miguel, Miguelito, or yeah. Michael yes. Rivers. That's the last one we saw. Uh huh. Michael Rivers, Mr. Yeah. Miguel Riva. Right. 
My goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo. We can't spoil it for the listeners. I'm not going. This is what I'm going to say. Ooh. We're watching it together, and my wife is sitting in front of me on the couch, and she's like, she's watching it, so she can't see me behind her. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, I'm like full yeah. on, just like, yo, like there's just tears streaming, not too loud. She turned around and she said, oh, uh, and then we're like at the end of the episode by this point. And I'm, I've been wet whole face, just like, yo, right. this man right here. And, um, so that, that, that is, that is tremendo. Yeah, that, that, um, that got that, me. Jeez, man. But you know what though? The, the, the beautiful part of, and how it connects to what you were just mentioning about, uh, just faith journey and my spiritual journey is, I really don't see myself as someone who has like evolved to this level of what I now see and call as spiritual maturity and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, more revelation and and being more informed and and intelligent as my previous selves. Mm -hmm. Right. Without those previous selves, without the Pentecostal chase, without the chase that grew up in the Episcopal church, without the chase that navigated through white evangelicalism, right? This chase uh, standing before you right now would not exist, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, while there are parts of my previous selves that I disagree with, I got to love them and embrace them and treat them with gentleness and kindness because they all make up this present self. You know what I'm saying? It's so Mm -hmm. much of... uh, just social media culture and cancel culture really pressures us to cancel ourselves, to cancel our Whoa. past selves. You, mm-hmm. you see, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And to uh, present ourselves as this like finished, polished product that is perfect and unproblematic in any way, not problematic in any way. Right. And, and just flawless for the purpose of consumption. Right. Mm. So you put out an image of yourself on social media. That image is then intellectually consumed by people who buy into that image of you. And that image can't have any flaws or any previous versions that weren't the version that exists now. You know, so I love shows like This Is Us because it shows us how all of our different selves are connected. It breaks through this linear understanding of identity. Like we are all in this present moment, a collection of our past, uh, present, future selves. Like mm. that's that's who we are. And that mm-hmm. stuff is layered and, and, and complicated, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to bring it full circle, that's that's one of the reasons I appreciate that show. It really mm. illustrates that that well. Well, would you share with us maybe briefly about some of your journey uh, when you talk about that compilation of your present of yourself and how yeah, you've come yeah. to those parts of you that form how you've encountered God and how you think and understand of who God is. Right, right. Yeah. So um, the childhood chase, right, mm-hmm. um, that grew up in the Episcopal Church uh, and the reason for that got to back way up even before Mount Vernon, New York. Shout out to Church of Ascension out there. Mm-hmm. Right. Got to back up to the toddler chase in the Caribbean. Right. In Guyana, uh, the way that the Episcopal faith uh, tradition, the way the Anglican faith tradition was brought to myself and my ancestors was through enslavement and colonization. Right. So uh, Mm. I got to locate myself uh, there. Right. Because that's where that journey uh, started. 
A lot of folks in the Caribbean are Anglican, and that is, of course, because the Church of England was out there trying to exterminate indigenous peoples, enslaving African peoples in the name of God. Mm. And that's how I got connected to that to that faith tradition, right? Where we were stripped of our uh, ancestral and indigenous religions, told that they were evil, told that that was the devil's work, told to separate ourselves from that, and told to follow and bow down to white Jesus, right? So, so that's how the Anglican faith came to a brother. So this mm-hmm. th- like this stuff is complicated, right? Yeah. And so, oh, yeah. but at the same time, it was the Episcopal Church. That was the first place where I, you know, publicly spoke. Mm. Like they would ask me to read and, and do gospel readings. Um, and I would read and people would love it. And they're like, oh, when's the next time you're going to read? And so I would read the gospels in the Episcopal Church. Right. So that was the first place where I felt like uh, like a sense of identity, a sense of purpose and calling when it came to any kind of public speaking. Right. So. Um, I, I don't necessarily remember or recall the ways that I was envisioning God back mm-hmm. at that time and back mm-hmm. in that space, other than maybe God was distant from me, not necessarily for me. I didn't necessarily connect mm-hmm. to all of the forms of and expressions of worship, uh, but I did connect to myself and I did start to feel good about my public speaking voice. So it was mm-hmm. there. And then the hallways of Mount Vernon High School. I don't know if I ever told you this, but that was the other place where I started to find my voice because I would have at the same time I was doing this, this speaking and reading of the Gospels in the Episcopal Church. I was also having these like freestyle rap battles uh, in the hallways of Mount Vernon High. So it was those two places, those two places where public speaking chase uh, was first like shaped and informed where I got so much confidence and identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. It's interesting that for me, there's so much there. One question that comes to my mind from early on, I feel like this question goes beyond your story because I want to hear more about evolution and different stages and different spaces you've existed in. But really, but current Chase, when you look back at the faith that was kind of colonized into your family, into your country, Mm. how do you perceive that now? Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's um, it's a lot of different answers. It's not one yeah. uh, thing. It's not a mm-hmm. it's not a you know, this was all completely evil and bad and got to distance ourselves from it. Uh, and it's not that oh, this was this was all amazing and good. Right. It's mm-hmm. a lot of different things uh, in between. Right. So. Yeah. um but I firmly believe now, as I look back on it, right, that there was something about our ancestors uh, that found the true Jesus, right? Even mm-hmm. as white Jesus was trying to be colonized into us, we messed around and really encountered Jesus, uh-huh. like the, the real Jesus, like we in the Hush Arbor, right? Yeah. In those places in the bush where we were out of the earshot of our captors, right? We truly discovered the liberative God, Mm -hmm. the God of the Exodus narrative and the Exodus story. You Mm -hmm. know know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So as those things are being attempted to be colonized into us, there was still a resistance in that we were able to kind of reshape and refashion 
God uh, and, and God was encountering us, right? And engaging us in those spaces and in, in, in those places. So yeah, man, it's, 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 it's mixed. But one of the things I'm realizing is that it wasn't an either. It's not an either or. Mm. One of the things I'm also looking forward and, and doing and engaging more and more now is trying to tap back into some more of that ancestral wisdom that mm-hmm. transcends what was handed down to us, you know what I'm saying? Through mm-hmm. colonization and then further in this country through white evangelicalism, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So mm-hmm. things like listening to uh, our bodies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We were taught to distrust our bodies. We were taught that all knowledge and wisdom and and the ability to know God was wrapped up in cognition, in, in our rational, reasonable minds, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. so it's things like that that I'm leaning into and learning to do that tap back to forms of religion and practices and spirituality that are really in our DNA that predate colonization and that predate uh, us being held captive and enslaved and labor being extorted from us. Our stories don't begin there. That was a part of the chapter, a part of the story, but our stories don't begin there. Our stories predate those things, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, that's one of the things I'm learning to do now, right? And to recognize that Yes, it's it's a mix. It's a whole lot of things happening at once. Life is not neatly broken down into binaries, you know. Mm. So, um, so brothers doing that work of deconstructing uh, and and seeing God through new, more liberative lenses mm-hmm. uh, as we speak. It's been a it's been a journey that's been years in the making, but it's it's still ongoing, and that's a beautiful thing that it's still ongoing. And I hope that it'll be ongoing even as. You mentioned 64-year-old Chase. I pray that 64-year-old Chase is even able to look back at 38-year-old Chase mm-hmm. and there's still some more evolution and growth and development that is happening into my 60s, Lord willing. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I love that. I love hearing that from you as someone who is a leader. I, I wanted to say spiritual leader, but it didn't feel right coming out. But I know that that's how people look to you. They look to mm-hmm. you. My definition of the leader is the person who defines reality. Um, mm, and so good. people look to you to shape and define their spiritual reality. And you may not see it as binary. I'm, I'm sure you don't see things as secular and sacred. And right, but I, right. I, but I am also sure people look to you to frame right. their spiritual understanding, um, mm-hmm. a picture of who God is, and all that. So to hear you talk about that is really important and meaningful i have a question for you about what you said because i think this is a this is one of the questions and this is even involved in the reality of people looking to you right for spiritual leadership because we have uh i think in in the united i know in the united states and i think beyond evangelical christian tradition has stripped people of their agency of their their own personal power and ability to describe God, to interpret God, to interpret the scriptures and said, no, 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 look to that one person on the stage. They'll tell you who God is. You can trust what they have to say about God more than you can trust what your body is telling you about God, what your intuition is telling you about that person. And for me, to be honest, that's one of the reasons Kinship Collective exists is because Mm -hmm. we want to remind people that we all have something to say about this thing. And if this book can't be interpreted by all of us, then what's the purpose of the book? And who's that kind of God? And that's not a God that I subscribe to. 
Come on. But back to what you're saying, though, what I really loved is what you said is before we were given an intellectual framework, there was a mm -hmm. body and a knowing and we trusted that. Mm -hmm. And I'm mm -hmm. curious about how you view now that sense of not just agency, because I think we all have this question about like, well, what is authoritative? Is the scripture authoritative? And some people live their life like, yo, if the Bible says it, I do it. This is my, this is my, my compass. I'm trying to think there's some worship song back in the day. This is my story. So this yeah, is, you know, yeah. this is our story. This is my law. This is my map. This mm -hmm. is my uh, basic instructions before leaving earth, which I almost threw up in my mouth uh -huh. just saying it. But <laughs> for some people, this is authority, right? For some people, yeah. the tradition they came from is authority. And so the tradition of the church history, all that stuff is, that's authority. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, I think about what you said really brought that up in me about for you, how do you perceive that ability to be authoritative in your life and, and what are some of the things not just you but i think in one in, in anyone who's right. listening how do you gauge uh an encounter with god or something that you feel is aligned with god congruent to who god is versus right. Uh, right. a bad lucky boy burrito that's gonna, <laughs> that's gonna distort right, right, your right. ability to interpret your surroundings yeah. potentially yeah, no, there's a lot there, man. Thanks for thanks for asking that question, man. And there's a couple things I want to tease out too that were uh, in your question that I think is important for us to understand as it pertains to this subject matter. Because you talked about authority, right? Like, what mm -hmm. is authoritative? Yeah. And I think for so many of us, when we hear that word, even that word is kind of triggering. Oh yeah. Because by authoritative, what we what we mean and what we feel in our bodies when we hear that word is. Uh, a con conservatism uh, we hear and we feel oh that the the evangelical way of interpreting things right authority of scripture means a conservative interpretation of scripture uh -huh. and there's so many times where we've been so conditioned that we can't even tell the difference between the bible and a white conservative evangelical interpretation of the Bible. This is supposed to like be a podcast. Those, Chase over here preaching, man. Good those two there. things are viewed as one in the same, mm. right? So when we disagree and when we resist and when we imagine other ways of viewing and understanding and engaging with scripture that don't fit into that model, all of a sudden it's translated as, oh, you don't believe the Bible. And it's mm -hmm. actually, it's, it's, not that, it's not that we don't believe the Bible. We just don't believe in your interpretation of the Bible that is perpetuating harm and oppression and marginalization. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that is so often what we mean when we, when we say those things, right? A Bible-believing church. The other day I drove past a church and had it right on, his si on the side of his wall. A Bible-believing church. And I'm like, oh, I know. I don't even got to go in. I, the only kind of church that puts Bible-believing church uh, on its wall mm -hmm. is the type of church that says, okay, we believe in a particular and specific interpretation of the Bible that now has almost become synonymous with the Bible itself, right? But mm -hmm. 
It has to be interpreted. It has to be interpreted. So that's that's number one. And then number two, you were talking about how do we arrive at what is authoritative. Um, and I really want to focus on and to for us to think about how much we worship the written word. Mm-hmm. Right. So even mm-hmm. going to that scripture as author- authoritative and saying, look, it says right here in John chapter three, like that's not all cultures share that in common. Right. Mm. This elevation and this worship of the written word and things that are written down on paper mm. like that is something that is an uh, that is a function of white supremacy culture. And that is a function of just our U.S. context. Right. The, the worship yeah. and the elevation of words that are written down. Right. So oh, it says right here in the Constitution, I can point to it. It says right here in the Bible, I can point to it. Right. Mm. But there are many indigenous cultures that don't elevate the written word. As a matter of fact, the culture that the Bible itself emerged from and Mm -hmm. came from was an oral culture where stories are passed down, right? Where it's not, hey, we can point to it right here. Most people didn't have access to even read anything, right? Mm -hmm. All the encounters and imagining of God were things that happened beyond the written word. Right. So for me, authority looks like being able to question those things that we have typically just accepted as authoritative, because all the things that we've accepted Mm. as authoritative come out of a context. But we've been told and conditioned for so long that these things transcend context and are objective truths that are independent of our our, of our emotions, independent of people's contexts and experiences when it's when it's not true when it's not true the things that we've been conditioned to accept they all come out of a context so for me uh reclaiming authority is the power uh, that i believe is being put in me by the spirit of god to love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength right reclaiming authority is actually the ability to ask questions of that which we have passively accepted as authoritative so i think it i think it starts there right and then to reimagine something more something more beautiful something more uh kind that works for all of us right and not just a select group of people wow so when you said that you you landed in this place where it seemed like you articulated maybe a compass of of mm. maybe god's nature and you said something more kind something more mm-hmm. inclusive you mm-hmm. said you said that does less harm um, yeah something more healing and that that feels mm-hmm. like symptoms it, it, it felt like you were describing symptoms of where you know god is where something mm-hmm. where there is mm-hmm. more healing and more kindness yeah i'm thinking about you know when you talked about not all cultures in, interpret this the same way and and not all cultures are victims to this mentality in the same way. And it just made me think of the people in my life who I know have been oppressed, who have repressed themselves, who have been suppressed by interpretations of scripture. Yeah. And again, this is, this is what we're talking about here, where it's it's an understanding of, of the written word that makes someone less of themselves, that right. that demands that they... Uh, they not fully show up. They right, can't fully right. be themselves, whether right. that has to do with their gender identity, sexuality, racial mm-hmm. identity, mm-hmm. Um, economic identity. 
there's this their ability uh, to their their to show up yeah. in the world without a um disability mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. for me i'm thinking about those people and i'm thinking about how you read it like the, the tremendous amount of courage that it takes yeah. to trust the parts of you that understand god to be kind mm-hmm. and healing and welcoming mm-hmm. yeah when you yeah, have been sur- when you've been mm-hmm. in a system that has always said God is kind and healing and welcoming mm-hmm. and you must submit to this written word. And it's mm-hmm. not just this written word, but it's my interpretation of this written word. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder what would you say? Because what I'm hearing is I would, I love that you said about authority. Mm-hmm. You said when I under, when I have my authority is to, it's not, it, I guess I'm really paring it down to say is to question the authority that's been represented or been handed to me when Mm -hmm. I can question the powers that be, so to speak, the interpretations that exist, then I'm, then, then, then I'm coming into my own sense of agency and ability. And I love that. And I think for many of us, when we start to do that, and this is why I wanted to have this conversation with you because you have done this and you're a pastor and you're now Mm -hmm. a rector, a priest. And so, you've done this and this world has also been tied to how you feed your babies and mm-hmm. how you get to take wifey on date nights and stuff. And so mm-hmm. I, I love this conversation with you. So for those people, I, I guess I can find, I feel my mind jumping all over the place, but I want to say when you start to feel yourself questioning, you know, there's been so many, um, yeah. viral clips out on the on the internet about deconstruction i think mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. that there 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 there's clips about deconstruction being a white thing there's you know colonized that all that i great i hear all that but yeah. i think when you smell yourself starting to question the thing that's been handed to you that is a sign that you are growing right. up right it's a right, sign right, that you right. are getting more mature Right. It's not a bad thing. It's almost like being a teenager when it's like, yo, this always worked mm-hmm. this way. And then you're like, hold mm-hmm. up, why does this work this way? This doesn't yeah. this doesn't quite work for me right now, or this doesn't quite work for those people over there. Why does mm-hmm. questioning is not a bad, evil right. thing. So right. I, I just really appreciate you sharing yeah. that. Yeah. And I think it's uh and it's not and it's not a white thing, right? And and I wanna just name yeah. uh, that for folks listening, right? That yeah. when we talk about deconstructing and decolonization, they often go together and they're related, you know, but they can, there, there's some some key differences, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. sometimes when we say uh, deconstruction, we might mean decolonization and, and, and vice versa, right? Mm-hmm. But the two are related, but, but deconstruction and decolonization are not a white thing. There are authors specifically womanist theologians who've mm. been doing that work for generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for me, uh, w- folks that I look to and listen to in this journey are voices like Renita Weems. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, like pick up Renita Weems, like her book, Listening for God, mm-hmm. right? And see the work of decolonization and deconstruction that she is doing in that book. Mm-hmm. Pick up the work of Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas and her book, Sexuality and the Black Church, 
in which she is writing extensively and, and, and letting us know as black folks, like, look, homophobia is not something that is inherent in our spiritual tradition. This was something that was colonized into us, right? And so she helps us deconstruct images of God as punitive, and she helps mm. us to decolonize the homophobia that has been conditioned into us at the same time. Like, that's Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas, right? I think of Will Gaffney, you know what I'm saying? Like, like these are the womanist theologians who have been doing this type of work for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Like, this just didn't start with the liturgist podcast <laughs> asking a bunch of questions. This has been happening for uh, a, a really long time. And the reason that that's been happening for a really long time is uh, as black folks, we've had to do that work from day one. Mm. We've had to do that work from day one. Like I think about the story of, of Howard Thurman's grandmother. You know what I'm saying? Like when, when she is, she was a, a sharecropper, slave, and she would say, don't ever read to me uh, the words of Paul, right? Because as Paul is being read to her, the way those words are hitting her body, when she would hear the words, slaves, obey your masters, mm. she knew enough to know that despite those being the words on the page, that that was not a word from God, mm. right? So she didn't worship that written word, <laughs> right? So she's doing that work. Uh, in that process, because doing that work, uh, her livelihood depends up upon her doing that work, yeah. right? So she said, don't ever read me Paul's epistles. I'll take the Gospels. I'll take the Psalms. I'll take the prophets, right? Because when those words interact with my flesh and my spirit, they liberate me. They encourage me. And these words over here oppress and enslave me. And I don't care that they're written down in this on this page right here. I know that's not a word from God to me. Mm. Right. So I would say to folks that to not associate that work as something that is uh, that is white. Right. We've been doing this work for a, that work for a long, yes. long, long time. You know, so Chase, uh, hang I, don't, on. I don't even know what the last question was that you asked. <laughs> Let me but I wanted to hit that part in there because I think that 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 does, that does come up for a lot of folks. Like, mm -hmm. hey, if I question these things, I'm questioning my own faith tradition. Maybe if you grew up in the black church or the brown church, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Especially when it, when we talk about affirming the Imago Dei in our queer siblings, yeah. I hear a lot of black Christians lean on the tradition of the black church to say, oh, affirming our queer siblings is more of a white thing. And I'm like, yo, don't you know black gay people exist? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So I just had to speak specifically into that. And I, I really appreciate you doing that because I think from my experience, I've seen the people who are decolonize your faith, ripping the, de the hashtag deconstruction folks, because it's, mm -hmm. so I see that and that, that, it, that becomes almost like a, um, the, the powers that be out there. Right. I'm going to name something. And then I want to go back to something you said about Howard Thurman's grandmother, which deeply resonates in my body right now. First, mm. you mentioned again, it's almost like this is just coming from these, these deeper places in you that this is how you, these are metrics and symptoms of God. Earlier you mm -hmm. said, what is more kind? What is more welcoming? What is more healing? And just a moment ago, you said, that's not liberating. That's mm -hmm. not encouraging. 
And so these are these, so five words that have come up as markers of maybe something that is like God. Is it liberating? Is it encouraging? Is it welcoming? Is it healing? Is it kind? I I really love that. Now I'm going to go back to what you said about Howard's, uh, Dr. Thurman's grandmother. And I want to think about our sisters and brothers who feel the same way. They cannot internalize something that is harmful to their bodies. Chase, what do we do? I I love that. I just throw it all on your shoulders. Chase, what do we do when I yeah, define reality for us, Chase? Right. Um, And I'm going to say this. I remember Mm -hmm. when I was working at this, you know, mega church, white church kind of culture place. Mm -hmm. They were going through it's like, yeah, I'm like, bro. Yes, this was the 2000s. This was like this is the this is the 20th century, the 21st century. And they were like, yo, I just women. I don't know about women pastors. I mean, women. I mean, come on. I mean, women. And I was like, bro, I had zero time for it. I don't care what scriptures you have. But and I didn't feel like I'm not going to go in the Bible or anything with you. I don't care. I don't believe that. I'm not with that. And that's not enough for some people. Right. And maybe that's not enough for systemic change in policy or in theology. If you want to change mm-hmm. the system and the, then the theology and the policies, you probably got to go do some work, which right. is weird. So you're going to have to do the work to convince the people in power to release power to our sisters who have deserved the power in the first place to to deconstruct and decolonize policies right. that are oppressing and keeping them out. But for me, mm-hmm. my, it, like I said, I felt like Howard Thurman's grandmother. I said, nah, I nah, can't be next. Sorry, cool. I, I got an event to plan next. Mm-hmm. I'm not dealing with none of that. It just is not true mm-hmm. to me. How would you lead us as it relates to the people who have been marginalized and have had yeah. these scripture verses? I'm thinking clobber passages. I'm thinking mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. that marginalizes them, read to them or pointed to them as proof that God is. Now I'm thinking of the uh, the 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 words that are not in line with yeah. the five that have come from your heart today, that God is discouraging, that God would be enslaving or marginalizing or wounding, um, mean. Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the mm-hmm. something that would keep people out a gate or um, it's not even that. But for you, what, how would you, I keep the word coaching keeps coming to my mind. What would yeah. you coach us around yeah. how we operate in that moment um, when we just can't accept the theology that's being right. um, handed or spoken, externalized over us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, brother, there's there's a lot there. I think there's a couple of things I would I would encourage us in. And the first thing is to I would encourage us to to recognize and and fully stand uh, in the truth that those folks who are saying those things to us are completely wrong because it's all based upon this erroneous notion that America and therefore American Christians are the new Israel. Right. Like from the founding of this country, this country was 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 founded with this belief and this idea in the minds of whether it's Puritans or pilgrims, 
and, and folks fleeing persecution. Resume Menachem, wonderful book, My Grandmother's Hands. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's beautifully written in the, the bodily uh, uh, practice, the somatic abolition, as he calls it, right? Abolishing white supremacy in our bodies that, that he writes about in there is profound. But he talks about the reality that uh, the white folks who came over here, right, uh, and attempted to exterminate indigenous peoples and enslaved African peoples, they themselves were fleeing from, from trauma, right? Mm. And instead of resolving that trauma, they blew that trauma through the bodies of other people. Whoa. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. from when you think about the, the, the insane murderous mess that, the, that medieval Europe was, Right. And the way enslavement was rampant there and torture and the plague and then religious persecution, they're, they're carrying all that trauma in their bodies. Mm. And instead of resolving it and dealing with it, they blow that trauma through indigenous bodies and through African bodies. Right. And so those folks saw themselves as a, a type of new Israel. Mm. You know what I'm saying? As mm -hmm. coming into this promised land. But there's a problem. You get to this promised land and there are people already there. <laughs> but that problem gets really easy if you think you're Israel and there are already people in your promised land. And those people become the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Parasites, mm, the Amalekites. The of God. You, mm, right. Mm, mm. That you then have the divine authority to exterminate. Right. So. I think we need to stand in the truth that that is where all of this, that's the lineage of where all of this comes from. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And so when you get those images and those versions of God that are punitive, you know what I'm saying? That are really against your existence, that are homophobic as hell, that really don't mess with social progress, <laughs> that, that are about, that are pro-empire and pro-America uh, as a nation, that's the lineage of where all those things stem from. Mm -hmm. Like that's the, that's the root that's producing the fruit that, that we're supposed to receive and, and eat. Like that's, that's the lineage, that's where it all goes back to. And those folks are wrong because when you like, when you look at Israel, right, and there's a great book that I would recommend. Uh, the Rachel Held Evans wrote it's an uh. amazing book, inspired, right? Um, but I recommend that book because she has a whole chapter dedicated to uh, the war stories of of, of Israel uh, in, in 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 her book. Uh, but how do you see Israel? Right, this is this is the same nation that was enslaved in Egypt. Right. <laughs> that God had to deliver and set free from enslavement. This was this little bitty nation that was smaller than all the other nations around it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? This, th th those stories are about a ragtag group of people. That story is not a story about an empire. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But now we're at this place where we got white nationalism telling us that these people here represent the interests of America, right? And so when you get those oppressive, punitive interpretations that are against your body, that are against your existence, you gotta understand the legacy that those things come from. Mm. So that's the first thing I would say. And the second thing I would say is um, that, that, that was not the religion of Jesus. Like when you look at the religion of Jesus, 
Um, this is the other thing, and I, and I hate to, I don't want to sound like I'm beating a dead horse with, <laughs> with white nationalism and, and white evangelicalism, but one of the things that it, that it does uh, as, they, as those two things fuse together is that they strip Jesus of Jesus's Jewishness. Oh, right. Wow. And Jesus is, is almost a, a, a white evangelical. Right. But Jesus was very Jewish, ministered in a Jewish context. Uh, mm. And the worldview that Jesus held was a worldview of tikkun olam, which mm. meant to heal the world and to heal the earth. So it wasn't about the doctrines and the beliefs and the things that you held in your head. It was about what you did with your body, what, you, what your actions did in the real world. How did you behave in society, right? Like, like how are you treating your neighbor? What kind of person are you in community? You know, and that's why Jesus said that we boil down, you know, uh, all the 613 commandments to, to, to two. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. So just in case loving God gets abstract, because that could mean anything, mm -hmm. right? You, you, that could mean anything. Oh, I'm, I'm loving God, you know? <laughs> like, like me resisting your right to be a full human being. I'm doing that because I love God. Oh, <laughs> I'm not recognizing the full humanity and dignity because I love God. Mm -hmm. Like that's literally done in the name of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And so what Jesus does is Jesus really makes it plain for us. Jesus says, if you want to, the only qualitative marker we're given uh, as to whether or not we can know that we're loving God is if we're loving our neighbor. Mm. And that was the religion and the worldview that Jesus himself practiced and lived out of. It was about how you behaved. It was about your actions in the world. Uh, were they repairing the world or were they contributing to the harm and the decay and the pain that we see in the world? Mm -hmm. Right. So those are the two things I would say. Uh, the, the, these folks out here saying all these things that that's the legacy and the lineage that that stuff all descends from. And that also wasn't the religion in the in the way of Jesus, like at all. Hmm. You know, when you share that, uh, you know, I. The fruit and the root. I, I remember, I forget some book. I think it's called Gospel Fluency. Uh, and I, mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily appreciate the whole thing, but I really, really latched onto that. There was a phrase mm -hmm. in there that talked about the root and the fruit of a thing. And I think that mm -hmm. when, we, when we talk about these words that we've mentioned, encouraging, liberating, kind, healing, welcoming, or inclusive, mm -hmm. uh, hospitable, I think that when you can smell that anything that doesn't smell like that, you know, it can't be coming from God. Mm -hmm. and, and and this is what, mm -hmm. this is our intuition lets us know. You mm -hmm. might not have the right words for it. And I'm thinking about Atlas of the Heart and how the, the, the right word for the right emotion helps us to process mm -hmm. our emotions and to heal and to go forward. When you feel oppression, suppression, you might not even have language for that. You yeah. just feel like this is off. This person doesn't yeah. fully see me. This person doesn't right. fully value who I am or respect me or honor my dignity. Back to what mm -hmm. Chase said about the image of God in each of us. That is a that is a fruit. And it's telling you something in the root is, and I'm not going to say decayed. Or, I'm going to say has yet to heal or is still right. healing. 
some people like 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 chase said earlier it's hurt people hurting people and their their internalized trauma the internalized dialogues that they've had to swallow and stomach their whole life suppressing parts of who they are and now you out here trying to be liberated and free and joyful and Mm. act like and they're like well i wasted my whole life not fully expressing myself and now you are just like living fully free that's hard for them to stomach too and again they are not your priority (laughs) i'm not saying please be liberated be free but that's the root of where those kinds of behaviors are coming from is their own woundedness it's their own uh damaging theology of an of a god that's not the god of jesus that's not the god of the bible and so but they sure like i love what you said chase about they sure do be professing it though like it's in the name of jesus but it's so incongruent with the person the life the actions the solidarity the healing the generosity i think of the smiles the presence the withness of jesus i mean we we just can't get that twisted so when you have those moments trust your gut trust and and i know anymore somebody said that to me i'd be like yo this is a big decision like, what is your gut saying i'd be like yo i'm so i'm so out of touch with my gut again back to lucky boy burritos or whatever right, it's right. like but if you can trust your intuition and when you can't right sometimes we're in a space where it's so murky and you can't quite see clearly maybe you can create your own list of your characteristics of the nature of god yeah and sometimes those characteristics they might not be all there. They might not be fully, but they're, they, if you sit down with a pen and paper and said, what is God like to me? Mm-hmm. Some of that it's, it's weird, Chase. I'm thinking of doing that, right? I'm looking at my little list from you talking right now. I think about a moment that I had on Monday where I encountered God walking around this space and, and it was a very liberating moment, but it also created framework for me. But when you sit down, write your list, then you might need to review your list because some of your list has been handed to you and it might be a misinterpretation or a misunderstanding, or it might be the, the, um, the attribute that you needed that five-year-old you needed to know, Uh but now Uh 25, 35, 45, 15 year old version of you, that's not enough anymore. And so you need to, you can evaluate that list now. And this goes back to what we talked about, what Chase talked about earlier about authority. When you can start to, Mm -hmm. you write the list down and you start to articulate the God you've encountered. And I want you to think about too, the God you need, the God you want. What is the God that most resonates in your bones? Yeah. And and I, and I think I can't, I can't stress this enough um, that that is what Jesus did. Like Mm. that is how Jesus lived his life. Uh, and, 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 uh, there's a wonderful book I also would recommend. Um, it's called the Jesus hermeneutic and hermeneutic. I, I, I got to throw words around like that every now and again, <laughs> you know, I got all these student loans from seminary, but that just means of uh, your view, your view of scripture, the way you interpret scripture. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, uh, Richard Rohr has this book called the Jesus hermeneutic. So what he's saying is that, wait, the way Jesus interpreted scripture should give us liberation and freedom for the way that we also can uh, interpret scripture, right? So why don't we try to interpret scripture the way that Jesus himself interpreted scripture, right? Um, So it's it's a really, really fabulous book. But in it, he talks about um, this idea that Jesus, 
Jesus preached and lived from a place of inner authority. Like Jesus didn't quote a ton of scripture. Jesus, Jesus wasn't out here. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, it says right here. There's a couple places where he did, but not nearly as much as we think. As a matter of fact, so much so that in, in Mark, this is what Roar gets into. Uh, in Mark 2.28, they, they complain. They said, wait a second, like, like, this is crazy. How is he teaching like this? Because he teaches as one with authority. And, and, and the concept there is like, oh, he's not he's not teaching straight from the from the Torah. He's not he's not relying on the book. He's bringing in outside sources and he's just talking and he's giving examples from nature like he's not talking about God the way we're used to hearing about God. Wow. Right. Yeah. Like he's he's preaching and he's speaking and living his life from this place of inner authority, not from a place of uh, of religious uh, lineage or authority. Right. He's circumventing all of that. It's in his wild now. Now, because I know what a lot of people would say, but he was Jesus, you know, but but the but the beautiful thing is. There's another way we can see Jesus, right? Uh -oh. And this is the way Jesus saw himself, right? We tend to view Jesus as exclusive, not inclusive. And what I mean by that in this context is we tend to see Jesus as like one of one, mm -hmm. right? Like, like Jesus is the son of God. That's That never happened before. That's never going to happen again. But when you look at the way Jesus lived his life and the things that he said and the prayers that he prayed over his own disciples... Jesus clearly understood himself as one of many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goodness gracious. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Greater things Greater than these things will shall you do, you do than these. It doesn't appear that Jesus sees himself as, as this exception. So when we look at the way that Jesus lived his life and when we look at the way that Jesus interpreted scripture and interacted with God, Jesus has really given us an invitation to do the same. Mm. Not a look at me. Is much more of a uh, look at us, yeah. look at us all created in the image of God, right? So there's two ways to look at Jesus, and and I was trained and conditioned to look as look at Jesus as exclusive, but there's another way of seeing Jesus, and we can see Jesus as inclusive, as one of many and not one of one, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so that that's a that's a wonderful book. I think we we should all uh, pick that up and check it out because there's a way that Jesus looked at that scripture that we don't that we completely disregard in the name of Jesus. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? How yeah. wild is that? Yeah. In the name of Jesus, we disregard the way Jesus lived his life, the way Jesus viewed God, the way <laughs> Jesus did everything in the in Jesus' name. Uh, which which is interesting to me because when you say that, it makes me think of. A conversation I heard recently where they were talking about the trauma and I can't remember who said it but they were talking about the trauma that Paul held in his body from mm. murdering and being the man behind these mm -hmm. plans to murder the very people that he is now uh, a leader a vocalist a vocal leader for them but he's carrying this guilt and shame so right. fervently like I'm, I'm and he did fervent right he did 100 miles an hour both ways, but the, mm -hmm. the amount of trauma. And when so much of our intellectual theology is about saying the right thing, well, Paul gives us a mm. platform for that in Romans and da 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 da. And people use that. Mm. So you've been in, you've been apprenticed into the um, post traumatic way of Paul. But let's talk about 
the apprenticeship of Jesus and following that life and that lifestyle. So what I want to go ahead, go ahead. No, I was also going to say, too, um, when you you mentioned in Paul makes me think of uh, another great work, uh, the the politics of Jesus by Obrey Hendricks. He's uh-huh. out of Yale, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. So, so this brother is oh my goodness, he's phenomenal. So he got a whole he got a whole chapter on Paul where he just he just taking Paul to school, right? And he's he's just talking about the ways in which Paul, from a position of his maleness and his uh, standing as a Roman citizen, like those things influence mm-hmm. the, the things that he wrote. Right. And I think that's another thing that gets passed down to us is that we are not allowed to question how scripture comes to us, how scripture was formulated <laughs> and written. We think that's blasphemy because we've been conditioned to think of the Bible as on par with divinity itself. Come you know on, what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I remember an old uh, Fuller professor, I can't remember his name, but he would always stress to us it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But but the Bible itself is elevated to this place of divinity and you can't question it and you can't question even how it came to us. Right. So that's another part of this conversation. So that's just a caveat, a little parenthesis right there. When you brought up Paul, it brought that to my mind that we are allowed to question how these things came to us in the first place and the people Mm -hmm. who wrote them and what it meant for them in that time. And these folks were human and these mm-hmm. folks had biases. You know, uh, yeah. Dr. Gaffney, one of the things that uh, she talks about extensively is how uh, sexist male translators of uh, the Hebrew scripture would erase the femininity of God all yeah. over Hebrew, all over Hebrew scripture. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's all over there from the very first uh, lines of the Torah. Right. Where it says that in the beginning. Uh, the God hovered above the waters. Uh-huh. The, the the actual words yeah. in Hebrew say, "In the beginning, the Spirit of God, she, yeah, ruach, hovered, feminine, she hovered yeah. above the waters." Right. Yeah. So anytime you see the the, the Spirit of God, right, Come on that now. is a, a fe- that it's governed by the feminine yeah, all right. the time. Yeah. And it's not just in Genesis; it's over thirty different times, right, throughout the Torah where. God is described as feminine, but that was translated out because yeah. of misogyny and patriarchy, uh, right? The feminine yeah. article for God was just completely, was completely wiped out, right? Yeah. So that's, we get to question those things, yes. like yes. how scripture yes. comes to, Absolutely. like, and we have to, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, no. you brought up Paul and that sparked uh, that thought, because that's also another part of the conversation, it doesn't mean that you are that you are less faithful. It doesn't mean that you don't uh, that you don't believe God. You know, yeah, it doesn't mean yeah. that you're not trusting in Jesus. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you just might not be able to roll your neck like that when you say you it. You know, it, it doesn't yeah. mean all those things, right? And I think yeah. we've been conditioned to think that if we question those things, it makes us less faithful. Mm. That if we don't passively accept these things, it makes us less faithful. Yeah. It makes us not a true follower of Christ, not a yeah. true lover of God. And to add to it, right, it makes us in danger of eternal separation from God. Because the stakes just get higher and higher and higher. Like, oh, if you don't believe this, that means you don't believe yeah. that. And if you don't believe that, you know, your soul. Right? Yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's... The, the slippery slope language, right? Yeah. 
So yeah, yeah. That's so much. There, there's. I really love that you gave us that last bit. Every bit that you shared to this point is so meaningful. So full of resources and imagination inviting us to explore and to embody and to embrace our story. And I really appreciate that. And the one thing that I will say and to locate Kinship Collective in the times that we've been able to gather in person with people and try to like work this out, what does this look like? People have said, you know, a lot of people have trauma around the scriptures and how it's been used to control or to harm people. But when someone else is sharing their journey and their story and their perspective, they've people have said that feels like scripture to me and for me one of the things that i'm like if these people can write down their encounters with god and we look at them as authoritative or something that can shape our encounter and experience with god then we can do the same thing and we're still working that out and we want to figure that out but I, i really appreciate that especially on the heels of understanding the ways that words like homosexuality got edited into the scripture mm-hmm, mm-hmm, thousands mm-hmm. of years later, mm-hmm. which there'll be a movie coming out, I think this year, 1943, I think, or uh, 42, 1942 project. You can check them mm-hmm. out online. But there's there's these harmful words that get edited in. This process is human. And just like Jesus is human, these scriptures are human too. And so it is mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. God, the Father, and the Holy Bible. Mm-hmm. And we got to take it off that shelf. And again, that's something we're trying to do. Chase, I want us to think about, because we've talked about embodying and what does it mean to get in tune with our bodies and what, what happens when my body rejects something that doesn't quite feel true, but this person mm-hmm. who represents truth and, and is right. a representative of God in my life, a pastor or a priest or someone like that, is saying this thing right. doesn't quite feel true. There's this passage in scripture that it, it reminds me of. In Psalms, these these writings, uh, the wisdom tradition writings, some of them are lamenting and grieving. But this is this space where it's funny, where this person in power, um, now that these this ragamuffin, ragtag tribe of people who have always been oppressed, now there's a bit of time. They've set up a kingdom. They've set up the empire. There's one thing that God didn't want them to necessarily experience or do or replicate now they have it so now there is time and so the king at the time has time to start thinking and there's other people who have written and their writings get included into this book the book of psalms but there's a psalms that talks about um this this embodiment idea that i want us to to just reflect on just a little bit i'm gonna go to psalms 38 real quick here um let me here we go um and there's this portion it's real small. I don't want to read the whole thing. Um, written by this king. Um, let me get out this. Make sure I'm aligned here. Oh, I'm in the wrong songs. I'm about to read something whole different. <laughs> Psalms 34. Let me find Psalms 34. There's, there's a, a wide spectrum of Psalms. Yeah. Yes, there is. Oh, man. I love this too, and I love that I'm talking to this MC, spoken word artist, artist, um, because there's so many exclamation points in this passage, and they never get read a lot of times. Um, and it's I'm going to read two lines. Mm. There's an exclamation point, exclamation point in both of these lines. So he says, "This is Psalms 34a. Oh, <laughs> taste, taste, yeah, and yeah, yeah, see yeah. that Yahweh." is good blessed is the person 
who finds safety in mm. Yahweh. Mm. Taste, taste and see that yeah. God is so good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Blessed is the person who finds safety in God. Mm, 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 mm. So today, mm. Chase, when you hear that in the context of everything that we've talked about, about how God smells and how God tastes and these, these distinctive qualities about God, what comes up for you after we read Psalms 34, 8? Mm, mm. I love the way you just read it. Like, I feel like we got a tag team and do like an audio Bible uh, or something like that. You know, we talked about the, you know, yeah, come on, man. Look, we, we can diversify our, our, our interests and activities there, but now, nah, man, that, that just, yeah, it feels, it feels like good news. Hmm. You know, that's the first thing I, I think when I, when I close my eyes and I, and I hear that, you know what I mean? Is that it feels like, like good news. It feels like safety and it, and it feels like refuge Right. And so when I reflect on and, and, and process something like that, uh, yeah, I just pay attention to how it feels uh, in my body and into my body. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I respect that there are different ways of of knowing. Right. And different ways of engaging God. There are all these metaphors in scripture um, about God that we just kind of disregard. Right. Um, because they don't kind of fit neatly into uh, the ways in which we've been conditioned to experience God, which is like, oh, you sit down in your room and you read that Bible. You know what I'm saying? And, and you pray. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. But you can you can encounter God through touch and through taste. Right. God is a very physical God. Right. There's um, um, there's another great book I really like by Lauren Winner. It's called Wearing God. Mm. Um, and in it, she describes just all the different metaphors for God that we've disregarded because they don't fit necessarily into the uh, context of God as a uh, as a man. Right. Uh, just chilling up in the sky. Uh, but there's this there's a chapter where she talks about how, you know, Jesus goes out of his way to say, I'm the I'm the, the, the God of the vine. Right. Yeah. Like I'm wine. Mm. Like get intoxicated on me. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's this invitation, like wine is 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 about pleasure. <laughs> it's mm. not necessarily useful for anything outside of that, as far as I know. You know, so so you have this metaphor that describes God as as is as, as uh someone who's interested in our pleasure, who cares about our pleasure, and invites us to experience pleasure. Right. Like God is wine. What does it mean to get intoxicated? Right. On the spirit of God, to get intoxicated by the idea of God, by the embrace of God. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I hear that scripture and, and I really process it and meditate on it, it's it's this invitation into a deeper way of knowing. Right. Mm -hmm. Into a mm -hmm. deeper way of engaging God that goes beyond just the thoughts and ideas uh, that we believe and hold uh, in our heads, right? Like mm -hmm. there's this potential and, and, and possibility to to really intuitively know and trust and taste that that God is good. And I, I know for so many of for so many uh, BIPOC folks and so many of our queer siblings, it's like the God that we've been being fed tastes like tastes like trash. Yeah, yeah. And we're told over and over again, Nah, this is good. 
nah, this is the way. Nah, nah, this is it right here. Hey, you need to, hey, you need to get up on this. And it's like, nah, this ain't that heat. This, yeah. I, like, <laughs> I'll pass. I know what my taste buds are telling me. Yeah, like this, this is trash. Oh, you know, and that's the, but that's the faith we've been handed down, and 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 we have so identified with it that so often we don't even recognize it for the trash that it is and that's why i gotta recommend this but i can't recommend this book enough specifically when it comes when in reference to uh you know my black siblings who are still in the evangelical tradition who would still consider themselves evangelicals uh it's a great book called i think i referenced it earlier but sexuality and yes. the black church by, yeah, by yeah. kelly brown douglas yeah, right so yeah. so she 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 goes through it's, it's just a masterpiece of like, yo, this this meal uh, of homophobia, this meal of transphobia is not a meal that we cooked up. Wow. Our ancestors didn't cook that for us. You know what I'm saying? They didn't make that for us. That's not the dish that they served up and said, mm -hmm. and said taste. Yeah. And that's not the dish that God served up and said taste. Mm -hmm. Like that was a meal. Again, I talked about this at the beginning, but the lineage that this stuff comes from, right? Yeah. Like homophobia specifically for black bodies was a way of controlling our sexuality uh, by our white enslavers, right? Mm -hmm. Because what is the purpose of our sexuality as we are being extorted and labor is being forced out of us? The purpose of our sexuality is not laborers. our pleasure. Is not the building of our families, but is the uh, the building up of capital of yeah. us as capital as yeah. us uh, as you know getting more labor out of us, right? Yeah. So, so if if you're in a same sex relationship, what benefit is that to white supremacy? None. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? So, so these are the so we got to really be able to say, oh, this tastes like trash. I'm going to believe it's trash. Yeah, and I'm going to trust that something that tastes better, that tastes more like God is out there and can be experienced. I don't have to accept that this trash is one day going to taste amazing wow. and be good for my nourishment and my edification. I don't have to trust that and I don't have to believe that. And oh. I don't have to keep eating it. Yeah. Chase, I, I think one of the things that comes up in me when you share that about that is it the last part that you talked about about like I don't have to believe that that that's trash. It's almost like oh goodness. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking about like preschool to prison pipeline. The time the mm -hmm. time that it takes. Um, that's that's a completely different thought. But I'm thinking of system. And so like if I right. if I start eating and I'm like. I walk in the room, the person who brought me in this room, I kind of trust them. They seem like a good person. Right. They seem like they know what they're talking about. They see their life, these markers that I would think of a good life, they seem to have those markers. And so they're, and if they eat this trash, then like maybe there's something wrong with me and it's mm -hmm. not something mm -hmm. wrong with what I'm being exposed to or handed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking mm -hmm. about some of our, these processes of quote unquote discipleship or apprenticeship there right. it's like colonization it's brainwashing to like no surrender these parts of you that are true to you and and mm -hmm. this is complicated too because it's not complicated but it's like there it's it's demanding that you surrender parts of yourself you start to question some of yourself it's like the deceivious kind of decept um 
um, insidious nature of it because the more you're exposed to the trash, it's like the more you start to question your own taste buds, is Mm -hmm. is something wrong with me or something wrong with this trash? Because everybody in this room got their hands up, banging my song, and and like everybody's in here loving this stuff. And I'm like, yo, this doesn't include me. This is not healing, liberating. This is not welcoming. It's not encouraging. It's not kind. Um, What is this? So it makes me think like we are discipling people's taste buds for trash. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. That's so good. That's so good. I think the other man, that's real good. (laughs) And the other thing that brings up, too, is that, you know, there are some good meals in there. Right. Like because I said this earlier, like I stand not as someone who sees themselves as fully evolved and now mature and I got it all together. That's right. Like all of my previous selves are connected to uh, this this present version of me. Right. Right. And so there are parts of the evangelical tradition that were a great blessing to me. Right. Like when I think about uh, in the, the the tenet of individualism, right? That's a that's a tenet of white supremacy culture, and that absolutely has found its way into our faith tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm actually I'm actually good with having an individual relationship with God. I like that. Yeah. That ain't all bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? So every now and again, you get some good stuff up in there, right? That's like, oh, that actually tastes. You know what I'm saying? That tastes decent. <laughs> like that's pretty good. I, I'm gonna eat that again. Yeah, yeah. You know. And so when something comes along that that doesn't resonate and that's harmful and that perpetuates injury and oppression and marginalization is is you get told well uh you like this part so what why can't you be cool with oh you like paul when paul says x but you don't like paul when paul says y that's right you got to take the good with the bad yeah. and it's like no no i don't <laughs> yeah 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 we actually don't that's really we, we actually we actually actually don't and i think um you know, specifically, I think we have to continue to do uh, the hard work. Again, I go back to, again, Howard Thurman's grandmother and so many of our ancestors who who dare to look at that page and be like, nah, because had they not, you know what I'm saying? Like, had they, had they accepted passively that these words on this page represented God's word to me in this moment, like, oh my God, I can't even... I shudder to think what yeah. would have transpired if MLK, there weren't folks who had anybody. The, the common sense and the intuition to be like, nah, that that ain't it, right? So we accept that when it comes to uh, enslavement, right, of our bodies and our freedom, right? We we accept that, and now we look at the text and be like, oh yeah, there was a. It was because of this social context that, you know, was happening in the in the Greco-Roman world, and <laughs> Paul is speaking from that context, so he really wasn't talking about. But then we just stop there and won't do that for anything else. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Like yeah. all of a sudden that just that way of critically looking at the text just kind of stops, you know? So I would say, man, we don't have to accept and receive and believe uh, as gospel these parts and, and parcels of faith that are just genuinely harmful and that perpetuate oppression and that and that just just you know, just don't work. You know, yeah. I quote James Baldwin here. I, I actually pulled it up early because I thought about it. But but this that James Baldwin quote where it says, if the concept of God has any validity or any use, it can only be to make us larger, freer and more loving. If God cannot do this, then it is time we got rid of him. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? 
But it's almost like we we have this abusive tendency sometimes where, and I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to use that word cavalierly, yeah, but but yeah. really, it's like we we so afraid of what getting rid of God might mean that we would rather accept an abusive, psychologically harmful God mm. than actually <laughs> yeah. have the courage, the faith, and the love to get rid of a God that's killing us. Mm. Like, think about that. Like, that's why we are so afraid of the implications of what getting rid of God might mean that we would rather accept in a psychologically abusive, problematic, and harmful image of God. Like, that's wild to me. Yeah. Right? But but I get it, because I was once I was once up in that lane. So again, looking back on my past self with with, with kindness and empathy, you know. Mm. Yeah, you know, one last thing for me about the text that it, it really stood out to me. I'm I'm I it reminds me of like you know when you're when I was a kid and you mess around in them germ infested balls at the McDonalds. If you ever get in there, you know, on the 1st or the 15th or depending on your family's finances, whenever you find yourself in McDonald's. But there's a smell of being in them balls and your mind, your mind, the most powerful trigger in your mind is actually the olfactory senses through your nose. So when you smell a scent that smells like whatever, for me, I most recognize, I'd be like, yo, like the the McDonald's balls smell. um, Mm -hmm. Pause. Uh, I don't know if I have to say pause on this podcast because uh, maybe 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 <laughs> seven of us or ten of us know what that means. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I I'm not going to say I that again. I was going to say it, but I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought it. But, so, but for me, I'm thinking about sometimes there's this, we have a trigger because of what we've tasted and seen where it can be a harmful trigger. And I know this right. has happened in kinship spaces where I'm like, now we're going to read the Bible and it's just like the mention of it is a visceral disgust. It's that thing has been harmful. That thing has divided me from friends. That thing has hurt me. That thing has kept me from my family. My mom still won't talk to me. My grandfather doesn't accept me. There's like this because of this book, because of their interpretation of this book. And there is a visceral pain Mm -hmm. associated with the mention of the Bible, the mention of scripture, the reading or whatever. And I just wanted to say like, in this passage where this person of privilege, it's a it's a nuanced passage and it, it goes from, just like we've been talking about, it's not binary, it's not like everything's great mm-hmm. and good, uh, but there's this moment where he says, taste and see that is good. And there's people who are like, yo, I've tasted and seen and all that has been is bad. Mm-hmm. And if that's who you are and that's your story and you've tasted and seen and it's just been bad. What you have tasted and seen is not a congruent representation right, of right, who right, God right. is. Right. Yep. Of who God can be. Because what we've heard today from Chase, that is a God I can mess with. That mm-hmm. is not that's and, not a trash meal put in front of me. And and walk in the freedom to be able to 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 select that, right? Come on. Because I think what 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 you'll hear is, oh, you 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 just doing a selective reading of of scripture, and I'm like, we all are. <laughs> <laughs> you know how many things we don't trip over throughout that whole book that we just be like, oh yeah, that was just the context, you know. Well, but guys don't have to wear head coverings. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't don't worry about this, 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 and this. It all is a selective 
subjective and biased approach to engagement and interpretation of scripture that we all engage in. I'm biased. I'm not even sitting here telling you that the way I engage scripture is objective. That's it's right. hella subjective. That's right. Right. And so I, I'm going to go back again. I love this book. If you're going <laughs> to, it's that Rachel Held Evans book. I got to quote it one more time, but mm -hmm. she has this section where she says, if, if you're going to, if you want to find uh, scripture and passages that uh, advocate for uh, war, genocide, yeah. hatred, murder, they're there. Yeah. If you want to find scripture passages and images of God that advocate for love, justice, peace, mercy, and inclusivity, they're there. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. I would rather err on the side of bias that creates a more loving, a more just, a more restorative, a more peaceful, and a world where we're all flourishing. If I'm going to be Come biased... On. I'm going to be biased towards love. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm going to be biased towards justice and mercy and grace. Like, why am I going to be biased towards towards death? Come on. <laughs> if if we, we, we're all biased. So I'm not even waving the flag of objectivity. I'm hella subjective. Come on. Yeah, I pick and choose what I like. Come on. Yeah, I'm seeing it through a biased and subjective lens. And so are you. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Whoever yeah. you are out there is that you think is is holding the scepter of objectivity none of us are we're all coming from a context with our own personal biases right so so why not be more biased towards a world that is that is larger and freer and and more loving and kind yo chase that's the last word man that's the last word you know what i'm saying this is so this is why we celebrate stories and we lament together about the wounds we've encountered the people who, the hurt people who have hurt us. This is why we celebrate together the wins when we discover agency, when we begin to question. We try to hold that space for one another. And this is why we take the Bible off the top shelf and say, we reimagine this together because your encounters, being from Guyana, being in New York, being in Mount Vernon, coming to California, experiencing racial trauma, being indoctrinated into different ways, they form you and they give you an ability to see and all the work you've done chase to be who you are today this present version is a gift to us you've given us permission to own our story and to to imagine and reimagine we appreciate you chase if you're listening you matter your story matters um as you carry the 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 smells and the taste that you've had our hope for you is that you would encounter the guy who is good and loves you and values you with every part of who you are accepts you that you would encounter the encouraging liberating healing kind welcoming hospitable inclusive god much love y'all we'll talk to you soon peace we are